Getting a lesson in cooking steak to perfection, I asked Chef Tim Holland about the types of meat he's been using and the difference between grass and grain-fed beef. So I just did sous vide uh, eye fillet, which is that really tender, super buttery cut. I've also got uh, scotch fillet, I've got uh, ribeye and uh, porterhouse. So this is Victorian beef and um, what we're really famous for in Victoria is pasture. We've got amazing pasture, so it's grass fed, which is really popular. There's been a kind of swing around a little bit, everyone's been talking about grain fed. Um, pasture, I mean we do a lot of grain fed as well and there's, there's a place for it no doubt, but um, firstly Cows eat grass. They always have eaten grass. So it's a much more natural environment for the cows to be roaming around in, obviously. Uh, They don't naturally eat grain. Uh, You get a different marbling and a different coloured fat as well, so you can't see it, obviously. But the... um it's a very white meat that you can see there, right? So that's, that's from grass-fed. So uh, when you have grain-fed, it's, it's slightly yellower, so you'll notice um, yeah, it has a yellower tinge to it as well. Uh, what else is there about it? Uh, you can get much heavier marbling with, um, with grain-fed as well. But the, the grass-fed's got other advantages. It's got a heap of beta-carotene in it from the grass. I, I like the idea that you know we've possibly got some of the best pastures in the world I mean I mean, as you can see this is such a clean green environment an hour out of Melbourne and you've got paddocks um, and you know it's, it's, it's a kind of movement that's happening again it's grass fed so Victoria is predominantly grass fed but, uh, it, but again we do grain fed and there's room for it you know we do grain fed lamb we do grain fed beef uh, certain markets look for it and certain markets look for particular grains as well um, but there just does seem to be a kind of push the consumer's kind of leaning towards grass-fed. Like, it's a very natural kind of way for cows to feed. So what you are cooking today, yeah. the piece that you cooked yeah. without using heat, Yes. Um, what does, first off, for the cook at home, yeah. what's the ideal heat to cook your meat on? So we're talking about sous vide style. Yeah. For I fill it, and you tend to cut, those cuts that I'm talking about, I mean, it's personal preference. Um, I, you know, I'm not one to get angry about anyone wanting meat, meat well done, obviously. But to, to get the best out of your, your, your bit of steak, you're really looking at rare, medium, rare, medium. Um, it's just that they're, they're, they, they don't have much fat in them and you, you want a juicy tasting piece of meat. You're not going to get that if you cook it at 75. It's going to be very dry. You, know, you might as well look for another cut of meat that you can cook for a long time that will be melt in the mouth. Uh, you can cook shoulders and legs and... Osabuco, you know, uh, shanks, you cook them for four or five hours and they, they have enough gelatinous connective tissue to make them really tender and, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, look, I'd, I'd, I'd stick at 55 to 60 if I was going to do the perfect perfect bit of meat, sous vide style. And look, it's hard to measure it when you're doing it in a pan. It's a feel thing and it really takes a lot of experience. And I suppose when you're pitching to people from Asia that haven't, been, haven't grown up by a dad cooking on the barbecue and they get an expensive cut like this, the sous vide technique allows them to get it right every time, you know. It gets more sophisticated than this. You talked about caramelisation and the importance of caramelisation. Yeah. So explain what that really means. Okay, so there's a certain... Have you heard of the concept umami? It's a Japanese kind of concept. It's really hard to explain. It's another kind of flavour sensation. Best way to explain it is probably savoury. And the smell of... um, baked bread or grilled meats or I don't know uh, roasted mushrooms that sort of thing or um, some seafood uh, dashi which is a Japanese uh, stock fish stock is very high in it you get it 
when you roast meats, basically. So it's unique to meats. And, um, and not only meats, tomatoes and mushrooms have them, but you really highlight it when you char meat and roast it and barbecue it. It's that smell. If I just served that up, yeah, it just wouldn't have done the job. You really need to char the outside of it. And that's the point, isn't it? The technique is to kind of shock the heat on the outside yeah. of the meat, yeah. seal it, yeah. and seal in those juices. Exactly. And then go from there. But go that's from there. Really important Very important. Yeah, and you should do it even with your your slow braising meats as well. So brown them off. Always. Stop well, it's a natural. You know. The, yeah. Well, you know. Uh, I remember sort of my grandmother always chipping the bits off the bottom of the roasting yeah, pan. Yeah, yeah, Well, that's that. That's what you want. That's what you want. That's basically what you're trying to recreate on top of a, um, a piece of steak. Yeah. Thank you to Chef Tim Holland, who was part of the Victoria Invitation Programme, demonstrates how to make a perfect steak, connecting with the Asian trade mission visiting at the same time as me. We're in a beautiful high-rise in the centre of Melbourne with amazing views of the city. I could see the Melbourne Cricket Ground, home to the recent ICC Cricket World Cup 2015. Melbourne's located around Port Phillip Bay with the city centre positioned along the Yarra River, offering a maze of hidden laneways, opulent bars, exclusive restaurants and off-the-beaten-track boutiques. As the capital of the state of Victoria, Melbourne is a vibrant hub of style, sport, culture and dining, all of which comes together for the city's world-famous events, including the Melbourne Cup, the Australian Open Tennis and the Australian Grand Prix, which is where I headed that afternoon, along with local and international visitors as we descended on Albert Park. A glamorous affair, and as most headed to the pit lane to admire the engines, I headed to hospitality with a hunger for knowledge and a taste of good food. Port Lincoln yellowfin tuna with the compressed watermelon, the tomato petal, the almond crumble, and the risotto venere black rice crisp. Absolutely delicious. That is the most wonderful tuna and the most amazing flavours. It's a brilliant combination. Fresh, delicious and slightly spicy. The melon hides under the tuna. They almost look identical, but they taste very different and they complement one another. Uh, here we have a little house-made egg tagliatelle with a little uh, veal ragu, flavoured with a little spice of clove and cinnamon too. Buon appetito. Mmm, delightful flavours there from Marco at Restaurant Florentino by Guy Grossi. When we come back, hear how I get on when I track down celebrity chef Guy Grossi at the Ferrari Hospitality behind the scenes of the Australian Grand Prix. So it's great to catch up with Guy Grossi here at the Grand Prix and you're uh, serving up in the Ferrari Hospitality. So what are you serving up for everybody, Guy? Oh, we've got all sorts there today. Um, Suzanne, we've got... Beautiful, a beautiful salumi section set up. So we've got our prosciutto and all our beautiful artisan salamis. We've got some amazing parmigiano, which is a Monte Coppa parmigiano from Emilia Romana, which is just yum to die for. Um, we've got some um, going around things, some beautiful pastries, arancini, and then for entree, that's just the that's just a start. <laughs> and then for entree, we've we've done a, a hand rolled orecchietti. And we've teamed that with an amazing veal ragu, so spiced veal ragu, so a really beautiful dish. Um, then we did a couple of main courses. We've got some really beautiful local toothfish, Patagonian toothfish, a lovely sweet-flavoured fish with a really smooth, delicious, creamy flesh. And we did um, some ox cheeks, some braised ox cheek, and braised them for a really long time, nice and slowly, really rich, red wine, and just so succulent. Um, we've got some lovely roasted vegetables there as well, and we just 
setting up now for our gelati station. We've got some excellent gelati going on. We've got some um, cannoli, which we're filling with a ricotta filling. And we're doing, of course, the old favourite tiramisu because everybody just loves it so much. So I want to please the crowd today. And they're all very excited. Um, I've heard today that the Grand Prix in Melbourne is very unique because it's the only one in the world that's a temporary track. So I'm very excited about that. And we've got some different things happening here with guest chefs and so forth. So it really is an exciting time in Melbourne. It's a blaze during this time. You get all the petrol heads come in and they bring their partners and families with them. And, um, you know, it just goes off. It's absolutely fantastic being here in your city. Last time we met, you were in my city. That's correct. And, and I enjoyed it very much yeah, too. Well, too <laughs> I think a little too much at times, to be honest. It gets to everyone, you see. It gets under it your does. skin. It was a real pleasure to have you at Put Victoria on the table there at Atlantis on the Palm. But I was at your restaurant the other night at Florentino. Yes, you and were. We, I had such an amazing experience. You, we went through the taster menu, mm-hmm. and one of the most outstanding dishes on that menu was the Wagyu beef. Yes. So just tell me how you prepared that and how you put that together. Well, it's really a simple dish that just is based on the ingredient um, itself. It's a, it's a David Blackmore Wagyu beef. Um, what we do is we, um, we cook it, um, gently in a sous vide type situation and then on order we bring it back to um, crispen up the outside of it and, and coagulate if you like to get the lovely sweetness around the outside of the of the beef. The beef is a great beef and speaks for itself. We do a little um, rosemary sort of cream sauce to go with the onion that's served with it. And Delicious. The, uh, I'm happy you liked it. It's kind of like you've got the beef there but the onion to me is really the hero in that dish because it takes so much work and time to get it. You've got to kind of cook the onions in foil first take them out of the foil, empty out the middle, make this amazing cheese kind of onion filling that goes into the onion and then gets rebaked to bring it up to temperature and to make it really beautiful and cheesy in the middle and it sits on this rosemary cream um, and it kind of really makes the dish uh, for the beef and, and really matches up well. We finish that with a really simple, just some to- toasted roasted walnuts, which gives the dish a bit of a crunch. It's like a bit of texture for the beef and walnuts, beef, rosemary, onions. It's all just old things that match together really well, but just looked, in, looked at in a more contemporary light. Guy, you look so relaxed. We're here at the Grand Prix. You've had a busy day already, you know, serving everyone in the Ferrari hospitality. You've got your restaurant, Florentino. You've got your other restaurants as well. And you've got your TV show, working as a judge on My Kitchen Rules. So how do you make it all pull together? How do you manage that balance in life? Well, I don't think there's any secret to that. And as most people will tell you, it's just about having a great team around you and people that you can actually talk to and evolve with and just um, leaving the right people in the right spots so that you are able to come and do an event like this and I've got some of, um, some of my team here as well and they make my life easy because we could kind of think on the same wavelength. I was a little bit more stressed about 10 minutes ago. I'm a lot more relaxed now because we've just got the main course out in the Ferrari. So they've all been fed, watered, and um, I'm very happy about that. And they all seem very positive, so so that's good. And clearly hospitality is in your blood, you know, from your family, and it's been there through generations. 
We're going to the Food and Wine Festival tomorrow. Of course, that's going on all around Melbourne. All around at Melbourne. Moment, at, the, at the moment, there's so much going on. We're going to the races tomorrow to, to enjoy that side of mm-hmm. Melbourne and, and the events that you have to offer. And we were in the Yarra Valley just a few days right. ago. And to talk to the listeners of Dubai about food and the provenance of food coming from Victoria, because one of the things, as I was thinking about some of the chefs like you that I know in Melbourne, and why is that? I think, why is that? And I thought, well, look, it's obvious because you've got great produce all Mm. around you why you've got such an amazing sort of wealth of chefs doing incredible things coming out of this city Uh, but to give us your insight what do you personally love about the food from Melbourne what would you recommend does for me come down to come down to the produce and the people behind that produce and there's been a real move back to um, real agriculture farming in the in the right kind of manner in the in the old-fashioned kind of manner and there's some people that there's a lot more people getting back to the land and growing things on the land in the right way to preserve not only the earth but also so that you get a much tastier and more organic and beautiful product off the land and this is something that's very close to my heart Um, agriculture needs to move away from that big industrial kind of agriculture that we've been used to over the last 50 years and we need those small farmers back on their land doing the thing they love the most and being passionate about their chickens being passionate about their beef their carrots and not necessarily just having farms that grow one thing or do one thing farms are meant to have a great ecological system where everything fits in together and we we are looking after the earth so that all of those micro ecosystems in the dirt actually make sense and enrich in our soils and and this is I believe a real move back in time and it's something that's really great and as chefs I think all around Melbourne we're realising that more and more and probably the world and just looking after those guys that are doing such a great product like that and and it reflects it devolves onto the plate because that's really where it all starts you can't get a good dish out of ordinary produce chef guy grossi thank you very much for your time today it's always a pleasure to speak to (laughs) you suzanne i'll see you there i hope so yeah Yeah. lovely thank you guy chef guy grossi my kitchen rules judge and if you head to melbourne try his restaurant grossi florentino i dined upstairs in the panelled dining room surrounded by murals depicting 16th century renaissance florence and tasted amazing food see the ravioli al uovo the egg yolks placed in the center of the pasta with the smoked ricotta it's cooked under temperature, so once you cut in with the egg yolk will form a sauce. There's a little crumble of uh, parmigiano and amaretto biscuit on the top. And we just finished that off with a little 12-year-of-age balsamic syrup just to cut through a little richness of the egg and balance out the dish. Fantastico. So the uh, Schur Wagyu uh, rump cap is uh, an 8-score marble score of 8+. plus. Uh, it's with the uh, roasted Florentine onion with parmesan and onion cream and the spiced bannock burn walnuts. Buon appetito. Interesting to hear Guy Grossi speak about traditional farming methods and small producers, which is who I got to speak to at the Flemington races as we head from the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne over to Super Saturday and the Flemington Grazing Trail as part of the Melbourne Food Festival. Stay with me as I continue my culinary tour down under in the state of Victoria. Good afternoon and welcome so very much from all of us here in Melbourne, Victoria. It's truly a delight to have you all in our great city and our great state. 
Today is one of the events, in fact it's day 16 of a 17 day celebration of food. We've seen many chefs come from around the world, share and taste with Melbourne chefs and the Victorian industry. So today is the second last day and this is a wonderful collaboration and partnership with Victoria Racing Club. So here we have an incredible lineup of horses today and we've brought from many of the regions outside the capital city of Melbourne, the producers and the farmers and the growers. And they have come to town and they'll be on the lawns where you can taste and enjoy their produce. So really today is we've got gorgeous autumnal weather. It's our great time for harvest and produce. So we really warmly welcome you and encourage you to have a lovely grazing and eating day at the VRC today. So thank you and enjoy. So it's Super Saturday at Flemington Raceground, home of the Melbourne Cup and one of the venues of the Melbourne Food Festival. Super Saturday is the biggest day in the autumn racing calendar and alongside the highest quality of horses, the front lawns and rose gardens are abuzz with foodies and producers alike. I headed to the grass beside the track to taste the offerings of the grazing trail and learn more about the provenance of food coming out of the state of Victoria and in particular, Aussie beef and lamb. Here we have a... Um Angus beef carpaccio with freeze-dried mandarin, raspberry and capers and we also have a Thai beef salad. Where are you based? We're based in the Basque Coast which is um, near Phillip Island Way and um, we're up in Glen Forbes on a farm. It's your farm? It's our farm, yes, um, Angus beef. We're trying to do um, a sustainable farming adventure and uh, we're trying to also involve other farmers in our local area so that we're trying to bring things down to Melbourne directly rather than, um, you know, sort of a good food movement. Yeah, so we've got a dairy farmer, we've got olive groves, we've got honey, we're getting on with lamb and we're beef. And how long have you had the farm? Just two years, yes, made the sea change or tree change and, yeah, we've thrown ourselves in the deep end. This is a family? This is um, my husband Peter and my son Ollie and Hilary's living in the UK at the moment. Um, But we got our beef graded by the MSA and our um, cattle that we grew out on our farm, you know, they were born on our farm and they grew, they had their whole life um, and it came out in the top 10% of all beef graded in Australia so we were really thrilled. So yeah, thank you. So um, hence we're with with the Melbourne Food Festival and uh, trying to yeah just uh, get some customers that want to buy directly from us and um, you know from other producers in our area and yeah just make it easy for people to buy sustainably and locally. What does that mean when you're saying about you know there's a bit of a movement getting together as producers are you and helping each other? That's right we get very much so and um, I'm involved with um, uh, the Melbourne, um, it's a local food launch pad. Um, Melbourne City Council are putting it together, and that's just us trying to network with our local farmers and just trying to get rid of the big business. And just our, our customers know exactly how we farm. They can come and see our, see us on our farms, and uh, they can see and taste and just know that it's all being done you know in the most humane way and healthily and things like that. Yeah, we're we're not certified organic. Um, but we're in a movement that's called Beyond Organic where there's just trust between the consumer and the farmer um, and the transparency where they can come and visit our farm. Yeah, Joel Salatin in the UK, in the US, yeah, we're sort of on his movement. It's a thing about just throwing yourself in the deep end and that's what we're doing and I think there is a movement in, in definitely in Melbourne that people want to know about um, where their food's coming from and uh, we're fighting it. We're fighting at the moment in Glenfort in our local little area, Kernot, a, a thousand shed dairy farm. And you know we're just not about that. We don't want that in our area, and I don't think Australians really want that sort of 
farming practice anymore. With a real emphasis on the small producer and quality from farm to fork, I grazed happily along the line of producers, snaffling slithers of cheese, berries and meats, and I got to speak with Minister for Trade and Investment, the Honourable Adam Somnurek. I asked the Minister to explain the significance of food and fibre to Melbourne and the state of Victoria. Oh look, food and fibre is a uh, big deal here in Melbourne, in Victoria. Um, although we only have 3% of the countries of Australia's landmass, we, um, we, we produce uh, tw- about thir- all close to 30% of food and fibre. So for us, for Victoria, for our economy, uh, it's a, it's a, it's, you know, food and fibre is a big deal. There's a lot of potential um, for uh, exports in the food and fibre uh, sector uh, and with the Middle East as well. Ghoul foods, I, I couldn't get there, uh, but next time I do hope to get there, both to the Middle East and also to our regional rapidly growing economies. Uh, there's a lot of potential there. Just over the last few days, we've been networking and meeting lots of people as part of the VIP Melbourne uh, and the uh, trade mission that are in town. So talk us through maybe a little bit about that and the significance and relevance uh, that you see. Look, we, uh, we Melbourne is the most livable city in the world. Uh, we've got a lot to offer. So uh, what we, we've had a pretty uh, strong uh, program, international trade mission programs over the years. But what we've decided to do is not change policy but sort of add to that uh, inbound trade missions which we call uh, VIPs, uh, Victorian Invitation Programs. Now the theory behind that is we want to bring out international business leaders uh, to Victoria so that they can see firsthand um, they are internationally renowned and world-class goods, services, technology and uh, clean and green produce and to sort of experience Victoria as a lifestyle. Um, and I think we've been quite successful. If you look around today, uh, it's a magnificent atmosphere, beautiful race course, um, close to the city. You can see the city from where it's I am, a and that's un- view of the city, that, and that's it? unusual for race courses throughout the world for the race for a racetrack to be so close to the city. It's a beautiful setting with the roses and the walking Absolutely. in, um, but also, of course, a big part of the culture here is the food and the uh, meat and livestock. Uh, I was out in the Yarra Valley. I've got to see some of the beautiful landscape that you're rearing, yep. the Bison, and I'm heading out to the Great Ocean Road later on today for a few days. To give us a little insight into the value of meat and livestock here in the state of Victoria. Oh, well, it's obviously an integral part of um, the economy, but besides the economy, it's also a, um, it's, it's a critical part of way of life for a lot of Victorians. Uh, so we do value uh, our livestock industry, uh, and we're very conscious to make sure that uh, its branding, therefore its quality, uh, its premium status is protected at all times. So food safety is very important. Uh, for us as Victorians and our branding is very important and um, like you're, you're, you're now broadcasting to the Middle East I'm of Turkish background uh, so I'm Muslim uh, so we, we, you know, we understand the halal uh, concept as well so that's another, uh, that's another uh, unique angle to this And so the grazing trail continues as I was drawn to familiar foods from the Middle East and the glorious packaging to go with it My family business it's Mount Zero Olives and we um, this uh, property, as far as um, olives go in Australia, is one of the earliest uh, or oldest plantations planted in the 1940s, 1943, 1944. My family have had it for about 22 years now, and uh, and that's where we grow about three or four different varieties of olives and produce uh, three or four different varieties of extra virgin olive oil. And then we work with neighbouring um, farms around our area, which are pulses and grains. It's the heartland for... Um, 
traditionally wheat in Australia, but uh, more important, more in, uh, recently, uh, lentils, chickpeas, very Middle Eastern flavours. It is indeed. Yeah, yeah. I was drawn to it. Actually, is it falafel and kibbe you've got there? Yeah, so we've got falafel, and this is actually a. Um, it's it's not kibbe. There's no meat. It's a it's a lentil uh, ball as well. So um, they're a little bit more spicy, more chili based. Utilising those very Middle Eastern flavours, I guess. You know, we've got pomegranate in the uh, the frika and uh, quinoa salad there. Beautiful. Yeah. Chili, turmeric, mm. ginger in that one, and then the falafel is more traditional. It's um, a cumin and coriander seed sort of flavours. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So, um, your climate and the conditions for growing. I've been only I've been to uh, Dubai. I haven't been anywhere else in the Middle East, but I imagine it would be as dry and uh, as a, as somewhere like Lebanon, or um, uh, in the sense that it's. Um, uh, we're right on the very northern tip of the Grampians. We don't get a lot of summer rain, but hopefully we get enough in the uh, in the spring to get our set our crop, and then we're able to uh, harvest our uh, our olives in the um, end of autumn, early winter. And the packaging is lovely. To re- be reflective of um, where it's from, it's a very our olive grove is certified biodynamic, which is an organic method of farming. You know, keep a very earthy sort of feel to the packaging, which I, you know I think we've managed to achieve. Well, it's stunning, yeah, yeah. And I've taken pictures so that people can see it on the website. So, who are you selling to? Um, we sell to independent retailers uh, here in Australia, but increasingly um, mostly to, uh, to restaurants, food service industry, um, so in larger volumes. Uh, um, and we'd love to sell to the Middle East, of course. From the laws to the paddock to check out the form. You can see my pictures on the blog at DubaiEye1038.com forward slash Dubai Today. And to the Grandstand and the Victoria Racing Club members facility, the Peak Flat, where I enjoyed a lunch of delicately pulled tasty lamb with local glazed vegetables and a rich gravy. So continuing my food trail, or should I say grazing trail, at Flemington Races and the Melbourne Food Festival, where I caught up with Natalie O'Brien, Chief Executive Officer of the Melbourne Food Festival, sitting in the grandstand, overlooking stunning views of the racetrack and Melbourne. It's Super Saturday, and I find out more about the history behind Melbourne Food Festival. So Melbourne Food and Wine Festival has been running for 23 years and essentially it started out as a celebration of what is here and what is local, so local chefs and local produce, but we soon moved into an international celebration, so we invite chefs, presenters from all around the world to come to Melbourne and Victoria to celebrate food techniques, food production, all sorts of aspects, but most importantly that people share and, and have fun. And with it being 23 years old, has it, it clearly would be mirroring the, the growth in food and awareness of food in, in the state of Victoria. Yeah, we, we sort of talk about the food culture in Melbourne, Victoria. We are a very multicultural destination, but really only up until the last 20 years have we really embraced all of the cultures that are here. You could say that we were eating meat and three vegetables was a staple for the food culture that we're in, but we've really started to experiment with foods from different cultures, ingredients. We've started growing ingredients, particularly from Southeast Asia and Middle East and and even Africa. And so the festival's really reflected those changing. And so you'll see in the program a number of events that are here in the city, from African events to Middle Eastern events to Chinese and Southeast Asia. And then we head out to regional Victoria where we really see the food and firsthand, where people can go and disgorge, make cheese themselves. And that's a really important part of the program as well. 
Well, you're coming to the end of 2015's Melbourne Food and Wine Festival. Some of the highlights, some of the things that you've seen that are sticking out in your mind that have made this year special. It's so hard to pick my favourite event because we have been running for 16 of 17 days, but I think for me it's always the meeting of people and we've met some incredible people from a young boy who won a scholarship from us who spoke so eloquently to a visiting American chef, Dan Barber, who was talking about how important it is in terms of farming and agriculture and us eating and chefs being really um, acknowledging that not all food can grow at the rate that we were talking about to tasting donuts in the pop-up bakery that we've had for 17 days. It was wonderful to see every three days we would change a visiting baker who would make his special breads and pastries that we've all been enjoying and I think it's really about people coming together and celebrating over food and that is a wonderful platform for exchange and friendship to continue way beyond the festival as well. As you can hear in the background we're here at the races today at Flemington and you've had your grazing trail. Have you done this before here? This is actually the second year so it's a really important race day in Melbourne. It's Autumn Carnival and there's some really strong horses racing and we think that food and racing goes beautifully together and so we have over 50 producers that have come from outside the capital city to be here so people can taste and as you said in its name graze along and enjoy that food and Autumn is a great time for produce in Victoria because it is harvest and it's vintage so it's when we have a lot of our beautiful stone fruits and tomatoes and it's a really great time for uh, lots of things to enjoy and graze with. When it comes to the producers connecting through the food festival, how throughout the year do you connect with those people around Victoria and decide how you're going to shape the festival? Well we come off the back of the festival and of course while you're in the middle of it you're thinking about all the ideas for next year but we also have a winter campaign which is really about driving people into hospitality businesses when it's really quiet and we also uh, ask the industry to put on events which is using local produce as well and then at the end of the year which is spring it's kind of time to get people out out of the city and into the regions where food is produced and the production of food so in spring we call it spring graze and it really is encouraging people to head north south east west and enjoy a countryside visit and the food and wine there as well and uh, we're already well in the stages of I guess ideation of what we'll do next year for 2016 but we'll have to keep that a secret (laughs) (laughs) well you know I can feel it you can see uh, I've been out to the Yarra Valley and I've been you know enjoying some beautiful dinners here in Melbourne and I'm going to be heading off later today on the Great Ocean Road visiting some farms so as a food destination you can absolutely see why Melbourne is on the global map how do you support that I mean I'm particularly interested in meat production here I think um, Uh, The festival creates a wonderful platform for us to showcase uh, the things that we do well in Victoria and lamb and beef is a really good example of that. So the menus will highlight that in different ways but you may be having uh, lamb um, on a barbecue in a really simple format or you may be having it in a Chinese restaurant in a particular dish as well. So I guess it's a really great way to show 
the diversity of how that lamb could be produced. And here during the festival, we have a number of visitors from outside the region, and we also have a number of trade buyers and media here. And it's a really great way for people to see things in situ and taste and, and also see the farm. So I'm so glad you're getting to the farms as well because you see from the, you know, the paddock and the plate and you can see that sort of journey all the way through. And so we hope the festival really is a great showcase of what we do well here in Victoria. The, the festival um, is showcased, and I guess it's what makes it really quite different, is showcased all across the city. So if we look in the west of Melbourne and the western suburbs, we've had some great great Vietnamese and Cambodian events and, and rickshaws, etc. And then we had, you know, down to the Mornington Peninsula where we're sort of celebrating um, much more Italian varieties, uh, beautiful olives and cheeses and those sorts of things. So the festival really is the opportunity for all of the cultures and pockets of Melbourne and also regional Victoria. And I think one of the great ways that we can express that is we do a longest lunch and we do that on the first day of the festival and it's a chance to celebrate local food with local chefs and local wine in a beautiful setting. And in addition to that, we do about 23 across the state in different backgrounds. So some in the high country in the mountains and some down on the seaside. And it really is just a way of connecting the whole festival together to think that all these people could be sitting down somewhere dining on the same day, uh, but eating different food in a different beautiful aesthetic environment. There's a lot of respect for food on every level, socially, as a producer, as a consumer, everything's good quality and that's not necessarily the case in other places in the world and it's not about gluttony it's not about you know being cheap it's about just appreciating the good 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 food as it should be as a natural sort of expectation in life rather than it being something trendy or something that is uh, something special yeah and it's hard to sort of put a finger on why that might be but we are a really small state and so and we produce a lot of food and we have a lot of um, great soil and clean environment. And I guess because we are a small state, the city is really quite close to the regions. So you can sort of probably assume that there's lots of connections of families that come from farms or or have connections with the land or in fact go there for weekends. And as I said earlier, I think it's a quite a recent thing that we've embraced all of the multicultures that we have here in a way that we didn't do in the past. We didn't sort of turn to people to say, explain that Afghan dish that you've got or, you know, explain that South Cambodian spice that you've got in your dish and 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 there's kind of I guess an alertness and an openness which is wonderful I think we've come a long way where food is a really great discussion point where people don't look at well what's that in your sandwich it's more about tell me about that did your grandmother make that etc and it's a real openness and I think coffee is a fascinating thing where Melburnians are, are known to go past four cafe shops or coffee shops rather to find the coffee because we're really quite discerning about it and I think there's just a general love. The other thing is that we have significant food markets in the city as well so it's a really great way in whatever corner of the city you are there are open markets that you can go and actually see the produce firsthand, encouraging people perhaps not to go to the supermarket but to go to their local markets. 
in the last 10 years we've seen a lot of farmers markets and uh, in whatever part of Melbourne you live in you can every second week or every third week is go to a local market and, and actually experience that food so I guess when you can see the food and you're that close to it you do develop a stronger relationship I think. And I have to say I was at the Victoria market and I was just absolutely bowled away I mean the size of it the choice of it the, 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 the selection of meat on sale that all looked amazing quality and the and the fruit and the vegetables and the cheeses the range of cheeses just phenomenal and I'm like this is on people this is in the city for people to come here and buy like pretty much every day if they choose to yes I think uh, the Queen Victoria market is is going through a redevelopment and I guess the city stakeholders said this is an incredible asset and how do we do more of preserving and connecting people with the growers and the producers and equally there's markets like that in other quarters of the city so that people have got access to seeing the produce firsthand and I think when you can have a dialogue with the the guy that's the the butcher or um, the greengrocer etc in terms of you should have this because this is really fresh in today or have you thought about doing it a different way it's that old fashioned sort of shopping of a dialogue as opposed to throwing everything in your supermarket trolley we're very spoilt yeah you are you're really lucky it's fantastic well thank you very much for your time and uh, any insight into the plans for next year for 2016 well it's really interesting because sometimes we plan things and then other things just sort of evolve um, um, but one of the things that's resonating me most is really about, I guess, sense of place and how important producers are in terms of the chain. And so there are chefs, are celebrity chefs, and, and taking lots of kudos and doing lots of great things in informing consumers. But I think the real heroes are the producers. So I'd like to see that we, in some way, can celebrate the producers here in Victoria, but also producers from around the world. Thanks to Natalie O'Brien, Chief Executive Officer at the Melbourne Food Festival. And from Melbourne, I headed out then to the Great Ocean Road. And what a stunning journey that was over the course of a few days, uh, taking in some amazing food and scenery along the way. Take a look at the pictures at my blog online at dubaii1038.com forward slash Dubai Today. And you can also see how I got on when I met with cattle and sheep farmers out there in the state of Victoria. And what happened when I visited the Cultural Heritage Centre at Brambook in the Grampians. Check out the video.